Welcome to the Personality Psychology Podcast. I am Lisa Lana Moore, and I'm the host of this episode. Today, we will talk about creativity and the link with personality. For the discussion, I'm joined by two experts, Drs. Rodika Damien and Andrea Sutu. Welcome, Rodika. Hi. And Andrea. Hi. We already talked in the fall of 2019 in the context of the EJP blog, and then we talked about your paper uh, creating through deviancy or adjustment, the link between personality profile normativeness and creativity. And it's really great to see you again four years later. Before we dive more deeply into the discussion of today, can you tell me a little bit about yourselves and the research that you have been doing? Yeah, hi. So I am now an associate professor at the University of Houston, and we we kept also working together. Andrea has graduated since, and we just had the paper come out on uh, life goals predicting occupational outcomes, including creativity. Um, it's going to come out in JPSP. And then we, Andrea did her dissertation with me on self-conscious emotions and creativity across time. And uh, I've also been working on studies on human functioning across the pandemic. You know, we've had that little thing happen <laughs> and some more hurricane well-being research. And- yes. So to add to that in terms of professional development, uh, as Radhika mentioned, I have graduated. Very excited about our new paper coming out. And we will be working after this to have my dissertation also published, which is about creativity and self-conscious emotions. And on a more professional side, I now work for a sports educational company. And my full title is Assistant National Director of Research Monitoring and Evaluation. And I help with all research endeavors in the area of sports education for children in underrepresented areas in the U.S. That sounds like such a meaningful job. It's very exciting to hear about the developments you've both gone through since we last spoke. Today, we're going to talk, of course, about creativity. And before we talk more about creativity and links with personality, I was wondering if you can define for me the concept of creativity. Is there one uh, agreed upon definition that, that is used in the field? Yeah, creativity is considered to be a multiplicative function of originality and usefulness. So you can't have one without the other. If you have a really original idea that's not useful, like brick plane or something, unless I guess that's conceptual art, but if you're trying to fly with it, that's not useful. That's not considered creative. Or if you have a really useful idea that's not original, like reinventing the wheel, that's not considered creative. And some researchers also add surprise to this multiplicative function. They think it has to be original, useful, and surprising, but not everybody agrees on that third aspect. And then creativity, it's really important to note that it can apply to any domain of achievement. Sometimes when people hear creativity, they just think arts, but you can have creativity in anything. And it varies quantitatively from little C creativity, like something you do every day, uh, like you're missing an ingredient and you're coming up with a different recipe, or versus big C creativity, where you come up with a relativity theory, something that changes history. I would add to that, uh, that we can think of creativity as an ability or also a process as well as a product. So there are creative processes, like the, all the cognitive and behavioral steps that we go through when we generate or develop or refine ideas to 
produce a creative product or engage in any type of creative behavior. And then there is the creative product, which is the actual outcome of the creative process. So when we talk about creativity, it's important to distinguish between the two as Sometimes what we want to mainly assess is the creative process from an individual differences perspective. So measurement depends on what you're trying to assess and then the results might depend as well because it's also really important to note that when you talk about big C creativity, for example, it requires multiple things. So it, it requires the creative thinking, which is more of the process part and the ability to come up with the creative ideas. But it also requires expertise. So you can't write Nobel Prize winning book if you can't actually write. <laughs> and it also requires motivation, persistence, you know, perseverance, and the right uh, emotional state as well. And then some people will even add to this that you actually cannot have a creative product and creativity is defined in a social context because who decides what's creative? So there's a lot of debate on uh, can you be a misunderstood creative genius? And a lot of people say, know that something doesn't count as creative if society hasn't agreed that it's creative. But then you have cases where people did actually come up with something really creative that was only recognized 100 years later because society wasn't ready. So it's pretty tricky. And this, all of these complications and complexities pose problems with creativity measurement, or not necessarily problems, but they make it very complex. And then the research becomes... It's very hard to summarize because some research will be on one aspect of it and some research on another aspect of it. So you always have to keep this in mind when you look at the research and results. Already a good warning for the rest of the talk, perhaps. But um, <laughs> from what you describe, it sounds like a very complex and very multifaceted uh, concept. Yeah, I think it's similar also to the way people think of intelligence, although this is kind of a huge debate that where there is a common G factor, like, you know, of that intelligence core, but then you can have math specific intelligence, verbal specific intelligence, which, so they're all sort of related, but not uh, fully. So. <laughs> and now that you mentioned intelligence, another aspect that I'm thinking about is the difference between having the creative potential. So mm, you're... Yeah talent or ability that is dormant and will that be properly stimulated during your development or in your environment right. in such a way that you reach your peak creative ability right. very tricky because there's also complexity in how we assess its manifestations yes. and we can only yeah. assess creativity by, yes. by looking at manifestations of it yes. or self-report of how people think they are creative yeah which like, is already our assessment. Yes. Thank you so much for this really nuanced answer. I think both of your responses already um, raised a lot of important issues that I think some of them, at least, we will also come back to later in the podcast. Others may be good calls for future research by yourself yeah. or perhaps by other people who feel interested now that they hear this podcast. And this also immediately brings me to my next question, because I did a quick Google Scholar search before our episode, and I saw that there was a lot of interest in creativity, which you both probably already knew, but it already dates back to at least the mid-20th century. So it seems like people have been interested in creativity for a pretty long time. And I was wondering, where do you think this interest of people in creativity comes from? I know in terms of psychological research, one of the first most influential studies was from 1926 by Catherine Cox, who studied a bunch of uh, Nobel Prize winners and members of the National Academy 
of sciences, and she was looking at their dispositions. So pers- basically personality and creativity. Like she was trying to find out what made these people so good <laughs> at science. <laughs> and I'm sure there's there's a lot of you know interest and research beforehand. Creativity is such a valued and adaptive characteristic to have. So people have always you know, you you get a lot of status from coming up with something original and useful. I'm sure, you know, the person who came up with a wheel got some credit for it, right? You just get a lot of status if you can help your social group improve their lives, which is what creativity does. It advances humanity and it helps us improve our lives. I think people just want to crack the code of how to be that. But I don't know for sure. That's That's just my guess. And that's also why... I'm interested in it. Um, it was, it's also just very interesting to me to observe people already since I was very little. So my brother has always been very creative in the arts and I more so in the sciences. So it just, uh, it was interesting to me, like what factors would lead to those differences. And growing up, actually, people thought, you know, just they referred to in terms of creativity, they always thought of arts as creativity. Although I, now that I remember, I was also I was also doing some creative writing, so that was getting me much more creative praise than something like this more scientific, <laughs> because people often don't think of that. So it's just always been very interesting to me to think of what factors lead some people to thrive and create something that changes the world versus not. And some people may have the potential, but not do it. And what are the factors? And how do people overcome obstacles in their path to still, you know, to make these big creative contributions and so on? I think I also became interested. I was thinking about this question a lot. And as a child, I didn't have siblings, unfortunately, to assess different ways of creative expression or manifestations. But I was always interested in music and dance and the arts in general. And then when I started my formal studies, I became interested in science. And I always thought that these were two extremes, opposites of myself that somehow coexisted. But then I realized while studying personality psychology in my doctorate studies that it could have actually all been traced back to one commonality, just like we mentioned earlier. And that was what sparked my interest. And then also realizing that creativity was an ability or a phenomenon that has tremendous impact on people's educational and occupational outcomes and just on, in general, on the development of our lives and our societies and improvements of our lives in many distinct areas. So I found that combining the field of creativity with the field of personality and trying to understand how they they relate was a good direction to, to take in order to understand people's directions and perspectives and lives and their uh, educational and professional flourishing. In terms of the formal study of creativity and the interest that personality or in general psychologists have had on creativity, I think that as a species, humans have had an interest in creativity way before we were able to formally conceptualize it and understand it the way we do today. There was probably an attempt to understand how some people are more artistic than others. 
in the past or how some people come up with ideas that revolutionize the way people lived, like Radhika mentioned, the wheel invention or discovering fire. If we go back to ancient philosophers, we can we can see that there was already an interest in what is it? What is this spark? Where does it come from? Is it divine inspiration? Is it the result of a lot of work? And what the formal study of creativity and psychology has done recently was managing to operationalize and conceptualize creativity in order to, to make it amenable to scientific study, which is where we are right now. That does clarify why uh, why people are so interested in it. In it. And also yeah. by drawing creativity broader than just arts, but drawing it also to, to things like inventions and revolutionary thinking, it does make it more clear why creativity is so important for societies and why people mm-hmm. probably have also been so interested in creativity for a long time. Is there such a thing like a, a creative person personality profile? Like, can we say like, oh, a, a creative person looks like, and then there's a, a couple of personality mm-hmm. traits, or is it more accurate to say that there's just links with specific traits of personality. I mean, in our EJP study, we were trying to see at least if personality profile normativeness or deviance was more predictive, which one is more predictive of, like if more deviance was predictive of more creativity, because there is this idea that creative people are somehow, you know, unusual in their personalities or misfits or so on, but we didn't find evidence for that. And if anything, people thought that being more normative, self-reported and others reported them as more creative, but then they didn't have more creative behavior or more creative outcomes. But in terms of a specific profile, so that was just about the normativeness. So that's how similar that overall profile is with the average profile, right? So the more similar, the more normative, the more different, the more deviant. And like I said, we didn't find associations between normativeness or deviance with actual creative behavior, creative outcomes, like job creativity or creative achievement. But in terms of a profile of like, let's say, which traits, that's actually been a goal for a long time of creativity research to at least come up with a profile for creative scientists and creative artists. There are some meta-analyses of creative scientists. There's an update that has been published already or um, of the, there was a Feist meta-analysis from 98, I think. And I think he's working on an update to meta-analyze the personalities of creative scientists and, and artists and see what uh, traits are associated. And I can give the the summary of what we know of the personal, specific personality traits of famous historical scientists, and not just famous, but actually highly creative that made big creative contributions. The issue is, and I'm working on a paper on that right now, is that all of this research is based on historical figures and creativity in science actually used to look different in the past than it looks now. There was much more lone wolf kind of thing going on because there was a lot of low-hanging fruit. So nothing had been discovered, right? For example, if you take psychology, there were, it's a very new field. So there was a lot that could be done just by a single person. It was also much less diverse, the field. If you look at highly creative historical figures, is 98% are men from Western, rich Western societies. And even when they are from, you know, 
diverse places like the US, diverse samples of scientists are not included because, I mean, women were not able to get PhDs until recently and, you know, or other like African-Americans or just, you know, there's not very much diversity. So science these days is much more diverse in terms of who is in science and also it's much more team-based. So this is part of the future is actually understanding the profile of creative scientists, for example, and creative artists in the new world. (laughs) We know nothing about that. There are no good longitudinal studies about that because it's possible that the skills you need now, and you'll see. So for example, one of the traits that's associated with high creativity in science is slightly low agreeableness in historical samples. And I don't know how good that's going to go in working in a team, but it worked out for all the dudes operating in the 50s, um, but I don't know if it's going to go well now. <laughs> I think I think it still looks pretty good because those all those low agreeableness people don't do any service, so they're not doing more research. <laughs> so it's I think it's still working out for some people. Thinking about an attempt to find the creative profile as an attempt to find the perfect recipe for creativity. But that involves that we would need to find an identic profile in everyone who mm. is who performed uh, creative activities or who we know that has produced or has the potential to produce um, creative products. So I am wondering if this wouldn't be too limiting Mm. to try to find that specific profile. And I I don't think that there is a perfect ideal and universally accepted recipe for creative success. I think there, as we talked before, there is probably some common factor like the broth, let's say, but then the, the individual ingredients that you add will actually bring that unique flavor to any creative product and are a result and a a reflection of the historical context, a societal context in which a person finds themselves. So being creative is the ability to come up with all these meaningful original ideas within a context. And that context will also have an impact on what that personality profile will look like. As Radhika was mentioning, it's very easy to find a specific profile for a specific historical time in our scientific past, but things might look different now as the way we work changes and the the needs of the society also change. So I would say to be cautious in terms of thinking that we would ever uh, we will ever be able to find that one specific profile in that involves this amount of let's say openness experience combined with this amount of conscientiousness a little not too much it's it's all so nuanced and complex and there are so many threads around it that involve a holistic understanding so to say of of the creative process to the Nice metaphor that Andrea introduced about having a recipe. The exact recipe will differ depending on the the field that we are in. Every creative, highly creative person is ambitious. And and so that's ambition is is a common thread across everybody who ends up highly creative and in a recognized way, right? Not a misunderstood genius. And everybody's hardworking and everybody has openness to experience. But in terms of the level, so so in terms of conscientiousness, it's interesting because conscientiousness sometimes pops up as 
positively and sometimes as negatively related to creativity. And the reason is that you only need the industriousness facet of conscientiousness to be creative. And actually, you're not supposed to be too high in traditionalism. So then the overall level ends up being average. <laughs> the trade openness was mentioned several times, and I think most of our listeners will know that it's one of the big five traits mm -hmm. and may also know that it's also defined very often by this creativity part. When I was thinking about questions to ask, I was thinking, well, to what extent are openness and creativity, if we're really talking about dispositions of people, do they really capture different things or are they maybe overlapping or completely the same thing? I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that. I mean, if you look at the correlation, just a correlation between openness to experience, and then of course you can separate that in intellect, right? Openness to ideas, openness to experience. But if you look at the correlation between that and the creative task or creative outcome, what is it about 0.3 or something like that? So by our definitions in personality psychology, they are related, but not identical construct. <laughs> but it's going to depend how you're measuring it, right? And openness is not just about, you know, being creative. It's about being open to ideas. And creativity is not just about being able to think of new ideas and enjoying that. It's also about acting on it. Take into account is this common variance that both openness experience mm -hmm. and creativity share with intelligence. So right, yes. the main question that we should pose as creative and personality scientists mm -hmm. is what are those factors about that predict uh, creativity from openness to experience above and beyond this common denominator of intelligence. And that's, again, where we run into the need for proper assessments and controlling for that common variability. I do think that openness to experience, and I remember I once had a poster about how... It's about openness and humor? Yes. And we controlled for intelligence yes. and still had aspects of openness predicting oh, yeah. humor above and yeah. above and beyond the factor, basically. Of creativity, yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, it would be ideal to refine those measures and to ensure the psychometrical value of your yeah. creative assessment above and beyond just measuring intelligence. And then answering the question of what is it? What is that factor from openness to experience that predicts creativity above and beyond the, the cognitive factor? And I think in there, there's this one of the aspects would be an interest towards aesthetics and opening towards aesthetics. But then that wouldn't explain the scientific creativity as well as as it would explain the artistic creativity. So I'm wondering. Sorry, highly creative scientists are high in uh, aesthetics appreciation. So in, some studies found that. So so <laughs> although our new study on life goals and occupational creativity did not find effects for aesthetic goals, but that's because <laughs> the creative jobs in the U.S. labor market are high prestige, high education, and high aesthetic goals in high school make you select away from those high prestige, high education jobs sometimes. We have found this weird effect where aesthetic life goals goals early on wait this wasn't in the this was in iceland but still same thing applies like labor markets are very similar society considers creative jobs to be those that have high education and prestige because that's where you know whatever company you work for actually allows you to be creative <laughs> they trust you with it right so it's more of a 
fact of the labor market. So then and they value it. They, they select it. for it. Yeah, exactly. So then being too high in aesthetic goals might actually harm your chances later on of getting a job that's seen as creative by the labor market. But I wanted to say, so it's good you brought up IQ. I mean, when we look at intellect, so I think the debate between the overlap between openness and creativity is similar to the debate of the overlap of openness and intelligence. We know that I think the debate is pretty settled when saying that intellect is not the same as intelligence because intelligence is about making these fast connections. It's more about kind of acting on a skill versus intellect is more about like openness to intellect is more about enjoying thinking about ideas, engaging with ideas. It's not the same as being quick thinking and making connections and having good working memory and all those things that are part of intelligence. And that was actually in McAdams uh, book about W. Bush, why everybody thought W. Bush was low IQ but in fact, his IQ is assessed at about 120, which is the average IQ of a college graduate. So it's not the highest among presidents, but it's not the lowest for sure. <laughs> but he was very low in openness to intellect. Because people have a hard time distinguishing those two, and they are correlated, intelligence and intellectual aspect of openness are correlated point three, uh, people had trouble distinguishing. So because he was so low in openness to intellect, that any new ideas really didn't like that, people thought he was low in intelligence. Anyway, I'm not trying to defend Bush. I'm just <laughs> saying what McAdams wrote. So I don't think they're the same construct. And in the same way with creativity, like, yeah, in order to be creative, you need to be interested in new ideas and new experiences. But you could be interested in new ideas and new experiences and open to them and not actually be creative. You can probably end up doing something very creative, even if you're not that open. So would it be fair to say that it's a necessary condition, but not a sufficient condition? Or do you also say it's not a necessary I think condition? I might also say the opposite, because I'm thinking of people who stumble upon, you know, although I don't know. So a lot of hugely impactful creative contributions are serendipitous. So then the question is, but of course, the person who notices that something that happened serendipitously is creative, maybe they are open to seeing it in different ways. So they might still need the openness. But I don't know. I wouldn't want to bet right now that there is nobody who's had a major creative contribution who was low in openness. Like I can see how that might happen by, I don't know, just you kind of followed the rules and eventually stumbled upon something. I don't know. <laughs> Generally, we find high correlations between openness and creativity, except when it comes to getting a creative job in the US or Icelandic labor market. <laughs> openness is not the most predictive trait. And that's because to get those jobs, which also happen to be high education and high prestige, you're more likely to need conscientiousness that gets you that hard work aspect. Just openness, yeah, it's definitely not sufficient. And I also don't know if it's 100% necessary, but definitely not sufficient. Because <laughs> you need the ambition and hard work on top of it, uh, plus lots of other stuff. And luck. One of strong predictor from the genius literature, uh, so geni creative genius, I mean, from Dean Simonton's work is zeitgeist, just being the right person at the right time with the right idea. So like, is society ready for your idea? And just luck. Another big predictor is geographical proximity to a creative center. You're much more likely to be creative and have creative, make creative contributions if you are near a creative team or creative center, because you kind of feed off each other. Think Renaissance uh, centers of creativity. If you don't have access to oil paint, you can't come up with super cool Renaissance paintings. <laughs> 
I guess to conclude then, openness is not the same as creativity, but it is closely related to it. Unusual thinking, ambition, hardworking are also all important to be creative. As I think you also mentioned in your EJP paper, there is this idea that creativity is in some way linked to misery. And that, in fact, if you feel miserable, then that can bring forth your creativity. And I think some some examples, not necessarily saying that these are examples of people creating art because they're miserable, but people that are often thought of as examples of this idea of people who are feeling, in most cases, depressed, and as a result of that are creating a lot of very interesting artwork. So for instance, Vincent van Gogh, Virginia Woolf, these are examples, I think, of people, but also the Club of 27 members are often seen as figures that are thought to have produced such great work because of their mental problems. And I wonder, you already mentioned in your paper, you didn't find any scientific proof for this, but is there scientific proof for the fact that feeling miserable in some way is going to bring forth your creativity? Mm -hmm. It's important to note that in this specific paper on general population samples, so Andreas and my paper in EJP, we didn't find evidence for that, but there is evidence. There was one big study conducted by Ludwig where he looked at incidence rates of various psychopathologies, including you know, suicide, depression, all that stuff. I think this was on creative writers, but it's been done. It might, might have been might have had other scientists and artists, but there's so many studies. And there's a lot of evidence suggesting that, especially among writers, suicide rates are much higher than in the general population alcoholism rates, depression rates, just a lot of different types of psychopathologies, substance abuse, really high among especially artists, also scientists, but more so artists than scientists. I did the study myself on sample of eminent African-Americans. And sorry, this is not a sample. It's the entire population. So a lot of these studies done on highly creative people are done on the entire population of let's say all the Nobel scientists, all the, uh, you know, so so it, they're not even samples. So whatever you find, the descriptive stats is what it is. That's what's out there. And I also found that for them, the more adversity they had, the more creative they were. And for psychopathology, it was mainly so for the artists, but not the scientists. But also when you controlled for other diversifying experiences, but the psychopathology effect was not there anymore. So I would say that, you know, for highly eminent samples, we do have evidence. And again, they're not even samples. They're called significant samples because anything you find, you don't even need significance testing because it's the whole population. But for a lot of these populations, there is some evidence but Dean Simonton has a really cool paper called The Mad Genius Paradox, where he explains how it's possible to keep finding this evidence in highly creative samples, but not find it in general population samples. Because I'm not aware of many studies, maybe there's a couple, but most studies on general population samples find that psychopathology is not good for creativity. And even in the highly eminent samples, it's not extremely high levels, but more medium levels. So Beethoven actually wasn't writing a lot of music at the peak of an episode. He had bipolar disorder, but he was writing it when he was out of an episode, not at the peak. So nobody even claims that the most extreme levels are good, but just you know some medium level. But even that medium level doesn't pop up in general population samples. And the way Dean Simonton explains this is by saying the creative genius sample is distributed as a Pareto distribution. So there's very, very few people who meet those criteria. And it's possible to actually find different correlations, completely different correlations, mathematically 
possible for the majority of the population and a totally different effect for the super tiny, highly selective part that ends up with creative genius ideas. That's probably because the people who got selected into that sample, they probably have other skills that we haven't fully mapped that allowed them to be creative, perhaps despite their psychopathology, not because of it. So when you look at just those highly creative samples, you don't see all the people who had the same level of psychopathology and ended up not being able to do anything and being debilitated by it, right? This is also what I think, based on having tried for many years to look at these associations in general population samples and keep finding that uh, diverse experiences and uh, psychopathology are negatively associated with any kind of creativity in the general population is that those people who make it have some kind of unidentified recipe that help them uh, overcome and maybe even thrive from the adversities and psychopathologies they encounter, but not everybody has access to that. And the goal of my career is to try to find out what that is because it would be super cool, right, to know how more people can do it. But but it's very possible that there is no uh, one answer and everybody has their own individual recipe for how they do it. That we're never going to find a, an answer. It's a fascinating question. It's a fascinating field of study. And I'm so glad that Rudika presented her knowledge about the eminent population. I had the same idea that no matter how depression or misery, let's say, has been found to correlate maybe in some studies with creative success or outcomes, it is clinically impossible to actually be involved in creative um, activity or in any type of activity during an episode of depression. So we will have to rule out the idea that if you're depressed, then you will create in that moment. It is possible that for some people, for some part of the population who has access to that ability, being able to use artistic expression or creative expression as a form of self-expression, as a form of overcoming those negative states has led them to their success. But it doesn't mean that we all have to become depressed and miserable yeah, to be creative. So that is not the, the relationship that we're looking at. On the other hand, in the normal population, so in the non-eminent population where the distributions are different and the correlations between factors seem to have different uh, relationships, it was also considered that maybe creativity can be the result of adjustment in the typical normal population or the display of um, optimal functioning. Right. So you are functioning at your best when you are able to generate ideas, when you're able to think flexibly outside of the box, to be original, to accumulate that knowledge and to put it together. It is a reflection of optimal functioning. There are studies that show that creativity correlated with a motivation towards self-actualization, for instance, from the humanistic perspective, or that everyday creativity, which is also a synonym of little c creativity, so not the creativity that produces breakthroughs in society, but the creativity that is meaningful for oneself, was correlated with flow, with psychological well-being, and it was both predicted by and it predicted positive emotional affective states, such as 
happiness, excitement, and enthusiasm. So these are the two very yeah. different pictures that we can paint of creativity in and of itself. There's no specific unwanted, unequivocal answer to the question of the mad genius at this point. I would hope that Radhika finds that it factor <laughs> and looking forward to those uh, new discoveries. In the general population, to be able to flourish creatively, you need to have access to the more positive states, I would yes. say. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, don't, I think if we know anything so far is that psychopathology doesn't appear to be good in the general population for your creativity or conducive to creativity. But I'm, that doesn't mean that you can't do it. So this doesn't mean that if you do have experienced some form of psychopathology, you're never going to be creative. I mean, we should remember that 80% of Americans experience some form of psychopathology at some point in their lives. It's really, really common. The point is you shouldn't not treat it out of fear that you'll be less creative because some people, I mean, this I say this jokingly, but a lot of people are worried about you know taking their pills because they're worried that they're not going to be as on top of things or creative or whatever. And that doesn't appear to be the case. You can get treatment and feel good. And that's probably going to make you more creative. Um, right. Very clear. I think we already, or actually you already mentioned some things that need to be uh, addressed in the future, some research questions that you are yourself interested in. What do you think are the biggest questions that are still to be answered regarding creativity? So I think there's a lot. So one is what factors contribute to the development of a creative scientist in today's world, in today's more diverse world, you know, and even before we don't, all the data we have from before is not longitudinal data, it's biographical data. So nobody has ever tracked, well, except there are a couple of examples and there are some issues with the measurements included and so on, but we need, you know, new samples to really understand the development of a creative scientist and what kind of personality factors feed into it. I also think more work needs to be done on measurement of creativity. I would like to understand what helps people overcome adversity to thrive and I keep doing studies on that. So I think those are probably the main things for me. I think we do need a great a great creativity longitudinal study that tracks not only people with potential for eminence, but just the full population to yeah. be able to understand if these trajectories are really different and how they differ and whether arriving to that outcome has more to do with individual differences and abilities or more to do with contextual factors. Yeah. Luck is one aspect that we cannot control for, unfortunately, in our in our research. I agree with Radhika in terms of better testing, better instruments to test for creativity with real world validity. I would add in the diverse world that we live in, culturally sensitive ass assessments for creativity mm -hmm. and how being able to develop an understanding of how creativity manifests and is understood differently in different cultures, especially in the differences between Western and Eastern cultures, I would say that would be a very important aspect to further develop. In terms of one personal question that I, I would like answers to is understanding the other direct so how does creativity influence our well-being and mm. whether there are specific factors that make some people feel more meaning and more purpose in their lives as a result of being engaged in creative activities, whereas there might be people who don't uh, derive that meaning. 
So that will be something that I would like to, to see more of. Yeah. And I definitely agree with the sample selection for the, you know, this ideal longitudinal study, because when I mentioned that there are issues with the other studies, those are the issues is they're selected based on high IQ. And interestingly, in the Lewis Terman study, they selected all these high IQ children and none of them ended up achieving anything. <laughs> they're called the termites. So they did, they all did well. You know, they're all very, when I said didn't achieve anything, they're probably like us, you know, like normative scientists. <laughs> They were fine. They were had great careers, you know, but they didn't change the world. There was one kid who was in the back of the class who didn't get selected because he was too unruly and didn't really fit. And his IQ score wasn't high enough. And he's the only one who got a Nobel Prize in physics. Terman was very disappointed. This is a bunch of really huge books where he kept tracking these people. And he did all kinds of measurements on them because back then people thought that geniuses were also sickly and had, you know, uh, contorted bodies or something like they were not physically able and he didn't find any of that. So they did all these weird, you know, measurements on their bodies too. They were fine. They were all just, you know, normal people ended up having normal lives, very successful, but nothing out of the ordinary. And the one kid who didn't get selected, like I said, got a Nobel Prize. So you don't need to select your sample just based on IQ because IQ is important to some point, to some extent to creativity, but it's, it's not uh, that highly correlated. So you need... Uh, to find to find the secret, you need a more diverse sample. <laughs> that is a great story to end this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, those are amazing questions. I think to hopefully see answered in the future, maybe when we meet again in four years for the right. Next yes, podcast. four years. Get I better get on it. <laughs> yeah, then maybe we will have the answers. For now, I just want to really thank you a lot for this very interesting discussion. I learned a lot about creativity and. Yeah, I hope our listeners do too. So thank you. Thank you for your great questions. Thank you so much for inviting us. And I had a lot of fun too. Thank you, Lizana and Rudika. It was, it was wonderful chatting with you both. And thank you for this opportunity.